Hello, and thanks for finding us. Karam Deo is a local church in Denver, Colorado. We're a network of friends following Jesus together. Join us for preaching, teaching, announcements, and other musings. You guys, I get to talk about community. Um, I think what we've coined our community is a prayerful family on mission. So I want to talk about family a little bit. And family is, for some of us, a hard word. And some people avoid that word and almost call it a village instead of a family. But to me, as I was praying into it, I'm like, I think that word needs to be redeemed. And we need to fight for a healthy meaning of what family means. And I think, I look around this room and there's so many people who are becoming family. I mean, part of God's heart is to extend the family, right, beyond our biological first means and there's, I mean, I just think back to the last month of key people in this room. If you guys don't know, this guy right here, his name's Doug. Doug is, um, he's been investing into this neighborhood for over 40 years. Uh, might be a little more than that. Doug's become a friend over the last three years. And even this, um, in the last month, has sat down and said, I want to actually partner and lock arms. He's like, I want to learn to become family with you guys. And although Doug has way more experience, authority, influence than, than me, he's like said, I actually want to join you guys. And I just look at Doug and I'm so humbled, Doug. And I would just say, any of you guys spend time with Doug? <laughs> because he's family. He's extending my version of family and it makes me so thankful to even be where I'm at. There's other people in this room, even right behind Doug, Jacob, and his family invited our family over, who's a bit crazy. My family, not Jacob's. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember earlier this week, what do you do in family? We had fun. He invited us. We had a huge Nerf gun war in his house. He brought up loads of Nerf guns, and we have Bodie literally with Nerf guns, like shooting us in the face. And we're diving, sliding on his floor, like shooting around couches. And I'm like, what's happening? We're working to form family, right? There's a few other of us in this room who are like working to do life on life, working through hard conversations of how we do life well, how we push back on each other, how we encourage each other. And I'm like, sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's joyous. And I'm like, oh. That's family, and it's a gift, right? There's other of us in, the, in this exact room where we've had conversations about loss, you know, this last week or so. And it hurts, and there's no answer, and I'm like, oh, that's family, right? It's a group that we're not individuals. We're learning to form this together. And I guess, Karam, this is what we're inviting people into. We're not inviting people into actually just doing a healthy small group. We're inviting people into learning to lock arms and be family with each other. And sometimes family hurts. But other times it leaves a legacy that lasts upon generation upon generation. I think of a story as I start out. My, my dad, um, when he was in eighth grade, so he's 13 years old, he went to an event where the Palermo brothers, none of you know him because I don't know them, spoke to him and he gave his life to the Lord. And over the next five years, the, 
the normal things of life, no crazy events, just the normal fidelity of life started shaping him. His senior year of high school, I feel a little echo. His senior year of high school, he moved schools and it was really hard on him and left all of his faith and got into a different way of life and left the Lord. And he went to college to play basketball. And this is a sensitive topic, but it's my story, so just bear with me. But uh, when he was there, his first semester, he was just partying the whole time when he was there. And um, yeah, and one evening, he's, he literally, to this is his testimony, he tells the story, he goes, I had two girls, and a girl in each arm, and I was walking down the street, and he goes, I fell down in a drunken stumper whatever that word means, but he, he looks up and there's a poster on that random wall of the Palermo brothers pointing down at him. And this is super cheesy, but he goes, they're pointing and said, what are you doing for Jesus today? And he said it just shocked his system. The next morning he moved out of his house and he got all of his basketball teammates hated him because he stopped the way of life he was doing. And it shaped my family years later for how our family is to live. And the significance of that story is this, is his sister, his brother, and his other sister became all alcoholics who ruined most of their lives. And that was the moment my dad made a choice that actually sent legacy, right, to my family and see where my kids are because of that one moment. And I just think, as I start out with family, I'm like, oh, let's be aware of our individual decisions and how they affect our extended families. And even the home churches that we exist in and the families we belong to, because they're not just little decisions. It's like the small decisions is what shapes family. You look at um, the thing we usually like best about family or even relationship stories, we love the start, right? And we love the ending. We love when the, you know, you meet. I mean, even things like, what's that movie? Uh, the, what's, I forget, but uh, the, you know, you start at the beginning, they tell like how you meet your girlfriend or whatever, huge, so cool. And then they tell at the 50 year mark, They've been together 50 years, and both of those stories are so profound. But actually what shaped those stories is the fidelity in between them. It's the 50 years you committed slowly each day waking up, going and walking with family through the hard things. And I would say the fidelity is what's one thing in our country that we don't love. We want the excitement, don't we? We want the small groups to run smoothly. But the reality of family is it rarely does. At least mine rarely does. It's messy. Um, as John shared this morning, I think this is where Jesus comes on the scene, and I just want to talk about Jesus. And the story, the story of Jesus' fidelity in his family. So often, I think we miss the humanity of Jesus, like the normal life, where we, we immediately hear Jesus, and for us, we think of him as God. But we often forget that the church as a whole says that Jesus is fully God, but fully human, right? 
But for us, when we hear it, we hear God, we hear deity. But the reality, when we go into Scripture, the disciples and his family never second-guessed his humanity. But it took them time to understand his deity. So what the disciples and his family realized, first they realized them as little Josh, like Joshua was his name, or Jesus. It wasn't as, for us that name is special, right? Jesus is, we hear Jesus and it means like the ruler of the world. To them, it was just like every little boy in the preschool. If they yelled Joshua or Jesus, 10 kids would have changed, turned their head and looked. It was a normal, ordinary name. His family realized that he was just a man. And they discovered later on. His disciples realized he was a man, he was a teacher, and then they realized he was a healer, and then they realized that he was a miracle worker, and finally, way later on, realized that he was deity. Now, the order of us approaching it, we're going backwards, right? Often us, we're saying he's deity first and trying to realize the humanity of Jesus. And why is this significant? This is significant because the fidelity of life, of Jesus' life, is the main thing that shaped him. And sometimes all we see is the miracles of life, of Jesus' story. This is what's crazy. When we get into the Gospels, all of the Gospel stories added together are about 100 days of life. And Jesus was 33 years old. And the question begs for us to ask is what happened to the other 12,000 days when Jesus was alive? And I dare say they're probably ordinary. They're probably messy. They're probably hard. But it's what shaped him all the way along, the endurance of the fidelity to actually live into this idea of family, those 12,000 days that shaped him. And I just say, as we step into family in the community of Cromdale, let us not miss those 12,000 days. Let's not miss what was going on with Jesus, you know? Those are the beautiful things that we miss all along in church, family, call it a village, whatever it means. So I'm just going to slowly walk us through a little bit of Jesus' life, of the fidelity of Jesus' life in the probably 15 minutes, so I could probably go 40, but let's actually keep it to 15. <laughs> but this is where I want to bring us. So think about this. The, tw- the first story we have of Jesus is a 12-year-old boy who sat with priests, and he left his family. And he was just talking to him. He was a great question asker. Sometimes the church portrays him at that time as he was teaching the priests. But that's not what it says. It said he was asking questions. He was a young boy learning to ask questions. The community and the family is what shaped Jesus. There's this verse, Luke 2:52, And it says this. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. So in this time of the fidelity of his community, he grew. He was a boy. He was a human, just like one of us, and he grew. He grew in character development, and it's hard for us to understand. But the reason it's so significant is because we're meant to follow Jesus in the fidelity of life, not just in the miracles of life. 
We're just meant to follow Jesus when our kids are screaming at us. Or we feel lonely because we haven't met the one yet. Or our community kind of feels like a disaster. It's not spectacular yet. How do we follow Jesus in those if we only know the miracles? This is what I love. So I'm going to take us through a few verses. Okay, I'll try to do it quick. Mark 6, 3. So you can read it if you want. But he says, he's going to his hometown. And this is what they say. Isn't that the carpenter's son? Meaning really like a handyman. And then they say this. The son of Mary and the brother of James. This is significant. They never represent a man or a woman as their mother, the son of a mother. Unless there's a story going around town about who Mary is and how this child came about. And you start reading into it the whispers, the rumors around Jesus' hometown. Was he an illegitimate child? Right? And you're like, Jesus, I know who your mom was. And you start hearing these mom jokes, you know. John 8, 34. Jesus is going into the Jewish neighborhood to actually do ministry. And this is what the Jews around his hometown said to him. The Jews said, well, Jesus, we, listen to the pronoun, we were born of Abraham. Don't know who you were born as. Hint. Your mom, another your mom joke. Abraham is our father, but there's a question who your father is. And you start hearing what was the hard part of Jesus' growing up, the fidelity of life that he went through over and over again. Family is messy. And it follows us. There's a legacy that follows us. And at the end of that, Jesus gets sharp, doesn't he? And you always wonder why he does. But he goes, yeah, you guys, you guys' father is the devil. (laughs) Why? Because they were calling him a bastard child. It wasn't just that they're immoral or whatever. They were ripping on his mom. And you guys know if you went through middle school or any of that, you know your mom jokes don't flow well, do they? I remember a story when I was young. My biggest fights came on the basketball court, and there was this young guy named Tim Yeager. And Tim Yeager, we played, he was a scrawny kid. I was a little bigger than him. But he started mouthing off when we're playing three-on-three about my mom. And it's okay if you're really close, but if you're not close enough, you can't mention my mom. Right? And we know this. So anger wells up within me and I go attack Tim. This is a true story. I'm not proud of it, really. But I take him by the arms and I swing him around the court and chuck him. And I'm like, Tim, you're afraid of failure. I don't know I said that, but that's just what came to mind. You're afraid of failure. And I jumped on him and took his head and slammed it into the concrete. Because he doesn't mess with my mom. And guess what? From there on, he didn't mention my mom again. (laughs) But on the way out, he was running, and in Iowa, you can drive mopeds when you're 13 and 14. So he pushed over my moped and then, like, jumped off and ran away. But the point is, he didn't mess with my mom again, right? And you just wonder this. I look at Jesus, and Jesus was a man filled with passion. He was a man, when he would go to heal people, he would say, filled with emotion. Emotions are good. Filled with compassion, he healed people. 
It makes you think in that moment, did he actually want to punch him too? Obviously, he didn't punch him, but did Jesus want to? And it's the fidelity of life that you think of that brings about that he had self-control in that moment. Because his whole childhood, he's getting told, you're the bastard child. And think about this. Obviously, Mary was not that. But it's hard to believe the story that she was filled with the Holy Spirit and indwelled with the miracle child. Even Joseph himself had to have an angel come to believe it. He didn't believe it. So what do you think the people in the town believed? They probably didn't. So when you think what Jesus is doing when he comes to his hometown, there's whispers every time he comes to town. It's the guy. You, know, you remember the story of his mom. But why didn't Jesus punch him? Probably the fidelity of family taught him the characteristic of self-control. Because he grew in stature, meaning growth of character and wisdom with God and man. So was there a time that family and community through hard times shaped his character to who he was when he was older and 33 in those 100 days that we see? Let's not miss the beauty of the messiness of community. What Jesus happened in those years of fidelity is he learned to trust what the Father said about him and also what the Father said about other people. He learned to hear the voice of the Father instead of the whispers and the rumors going around town. The fidelity of family is meant for us to learn to slow down in the mess and listen to the voice of the Father once again or for the first time. That's what this messiness of family or the extended family we're living in. And it begs you to think, if you guys know this story, you go to John 8. John 8 is the story of a woman at the, or the woman caught in adultery. So this woman, Jesus is taking this woman, comes dragged to the middle of town, right? And these people bring Jesus in and said, she was the one caught in adultery. What should we do? And in that moment, Jesus slowly thinks about it and looks at them and says, whoever is among you without sin, you guys cast the first stone. Slowly you hear the stones drop. Conviction happens, right? They're like, whoa. But the question is, why did Jesus respond that way? Was it because... He knew that his mother could have been that exact woman drug out to the middle of the street saying, you have a bastard child in you? Could have been that he said Mary would have been the one. And although we know now in history Jesus is deity, at the time the neighborhood did not know. And Jesus was filled with empathy because of the story of his family. And he said, no! And the funny thing is here, and all of us have heard this probably in the room, why wasn't the man brought out in the first place? That's a funny cultural question. Why was it just the woman's fault is the funny question, but that's not the topic of today. But it was the woman brought out, right? She's so bad. 
But we know that in the mess, the empathy to actually bring change to the world, the growth in Jesus, happened through the fidelity of continuing to show up to family, even in the mess. I think about this all the time. Last night, Tanya was in Bodhi's room twice. She slept on his floor. And why do we do that as parents? Don't we know our kids are there to actually shape us? To make us whole? More who God wants us to be? I'm going to lead us on a few more verses, you guys, because this is awesome. This is the amount of Jesus and family and the messiness of families meant to launch people into their callings. The ordinary life. Jesus, in Matthew 13, 54 through 57, he goes to his hometown again. And it says they're astounded, astonished by his miracles and his teachings, but then they're deeply offended when he claims to be who he is. Why? Because they knew that he was ordinary. He was just a boy. Those 12,000 days, he was a boy. And now he's claiming to be something else. Go again, Mark 3, 21. People in his hometown, people were in his hometown saying, this man is out of his mind. He's there in his home area preaching. And they're like, it's Mary's son. He's out of his mind. And at this moment, his own family comes to restrain him. And they come to him in Matthew 3, 31. They say, your mother and brother are outside the door. <laughs> you guys know this story. And he's like, and they're coming to say, Jesus, get out of here. You're out of your mind. You're making our family look crazy. Why? Because all the people know of Jesus is the ordinary, the fidelity, the normal events. And Jesus says this, which is remarkable. He says, who is my mother and brother? Anyone who, do, anyone who does the will of God is my family. Jesus is, Jesus is there declaring his family. The heart of Jesus is to extend family. Now, don't hear what Jesus isn't saying here. He's not trying to rip on his parents or his mom or his brother. He's trying to bring truth that the whole heart of the living God all along was to extend his family, to make it bigger. He was learning to softly over time, and you'll see why I say this, bring truth in love. And to show people, no, 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 there's a misunderstanding. The hope of the family, small communities, is meant to extend. It's not meant to be just one small unit in the Blankenship's house, the ship. It's supposed to expand beyond that. It's not in the Swenson's or the Stone's house. It's meant to expand beyond that. And part of the fidelity of family, the messiness that all of us can right now think of a community we're in, even in Caromdale, and think, wow, that's pretty messy. <laughs> do you know what God's asking you to do? Practice speaking truth in love. Guess what? You're going to fail that doing it. And then you're going to come back and say sorry. And you're going to say, I love you. Let's try it again. But part of the thing that Jesus learned in those 12,000 days was speaking truth in love in the midst of family. And that takes forgiveness and that takes love. 
Guys, get this. John 7, 3 through 5. His brother said to him, this is James, his brother in this. He said, brother, you're right now speaking in our hometown. Why don't you go to Judah to go prove your worth? Because here it's awkward. He literally says, go to Judah. Even his brother James didn't believe in him. And this is what's crazy on the cross. Jesus is the firstborn son at the cross. He's on the cross. Guess who wasn't there? His brother James. Because his brother was embarrassed of him. He was saying, hide me away so I don't get connected to that weirdo, that illegitimate child on the cross. James, his personal brother. This is why on the cross there's three women there, right? There's Mary Magdalene, who has a sweet story in herself. There's Mary, who is the mother of Jesus, they say. And then there's this other woman, which is funny. It's Mary. It's the sister of Mary, which means one thing to push pauses. Jesus had an aunt. That was Jesus' aunt, right? But this is what's crazy about this event, is Jesus looks down at John, one of his disciples. In that time period, the firstborn son is in charge of taking care of his family, of taking care of his parents. At this time, probably his father, Joseph, is gone, and Mary is there, so he looks down and says, Mother, this, this disciple, John, is now your son. He's commissioning his friend to take care of his mom, his extended family to take care of his mom. Why? Because his own family was embarrassed of him. How many of us, if it's like a community or your personal family, can relate to your family being embarrassed of you? And if you relate to that, I say Jesus knows. And we hear this all the time, but in reality, Jesus knows because his family was embarrassed. But this is the point where Jesus actually forgives. His heart over those 12,000 days taught him to actually forgive and love beyond circumstances, saying, I don't care what you think of me. I love you. And this is what's crazy. You guys got to know this. We skip after Jesus rose again and came back. Do you know the head of the church, of the whole church in the book of Acts? James, Jesus' brother. What happened between the cross and actually him leading the whole church? Luckily for us, we know. It's in, the, it's in Paul. Paul reclaimed, he was told this story. And this is what is powerful, you guys. If you go to 1 Corinthians 15, he retells this story. Paul passes down this idea of family, the significance of family. And he says this story, if you guys look it up, it says, Christ died for your sins, just like the scripture says. And he raised again on the third day later, and he showed himself to Peter first. Peter, the rock, and said, you'll actually lead our church. Then he showed himself to the twelve. He just showed up in a room. Then he said, I showed himself to 500 others. And then you hear this, his brother, probably sitting in his bedroom just thinking, okay, this is odd. The rumors, I've heard these rumors, can they be true? My brother who I've rejected my whole life, sitting in a room, I heard he showed up, he did miracles. And then you just see Jesus walk into his brother's room. And it says in 1 Corinthians, he showed up to James, his brother. 
And he shows up and explains, and you can just hear Jesus saying this. He looks at his brother in the eye and says, brother, you're forgiven. I'm alive. All that stuff that happened before, it's all covered. It's done. It's covered. Because I am alive. Brother, you got a job to do. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you, brother. And you'll be anointed and called. You'll leave a movement. It's all covered. The fidelity of Jesus' life living in family taught him to forgive his brother. To forgive and love. And love in a way, so often we say, right? We say this, we say, oh, I forgive, but I'll just never trust him again. I actually think we're called to trust him again. We're kind of following ways to actually say, I'm going to learn to trust you again. And I have dear friends who are counselors who say that takes time. And I know that's true, but I think we're called to trust him again. We're called to forgive. We're called to empower. We're called to trust again and restore. And that comes through trusting the words of the Father. So as we say community, this is what I charge us on to this year, whatever community you're in. Do we trust that the 12,000 days, the normal events that don't seem special in our Quran communities or your family at large is significant? Do we believe it? Do we believe those 10 years of raising kids over and over is significant? Because that's what shaped Jesus. And that's the life he said. Follow me in the fidelity of life along with the miraculous in life. And I say this. I'll leave this with my dad's story. You guys, some of us have broken families. And I'm saying God wants to redeem them in one way or another. And the choices we make to engage family today will leave a legacy on and on and on again. And I start out with my dad's story. He made a choice. Where that broken piece was cut off from our family, he showed us a piece that was normal. My dad wasn't like an extraordinary missionary or something. He just showed up and was faithful and taught us to be loved and to love us back. Taught us to look at Jesus. And now I look at the legacy that will lead on from my sister, who most of you know, my two brothers, their kids, the choices we make with family will extend a legacy of the gospel way beyond our lifetime. And if you don't believe it, I say again, hang out with Doug. He'll teach you a few things. I've learned a lot from him. So I just say family, you guys, is significant. This is why at Karam we're saying we are a prayerful family on mission. I'm not going to change that word to be village. We're a prayerful village on mission because it means the same. We're a prayerful family. Could God wants to redeem that word for us and say it's good. And it's what we're called to try to do. And you're going to fail at it. <laughs> and we're going to say, Father, let me get up and try it again. So I guess that's the invite. That's the Karam invite to live in a way that Jesus tried to do in those 12,000 days. And then believe there's going to be a hundred days that we do the miraculous with the Lord. We do amazing things with the Lord. 
that stemmed from the foundation of those 12,000. I'm just going to have a prayer over us. So I want you guys, I invite you guys to visualize whatever the people that you actually say is family. If that's extended into people here in Denver, or if that's still like you're only your immediate family, whatever one, it's fine. But I want you to visualize them. And I just want to pray a legacy over your guys' family. And one that's hard, but so good. God, I pray for all the families that are in Cromdale. The ones that don't even meet here, the ones that don't even relate to Cromdale, but the families that are connected to us in this room. And Lord, I pray that family is significant. Teach us to live in family. God, I pray redemption of families that are broken. Some of them I'm even thinking of in this room. I pray celebrations of the families that are willing to endure the messiness. And give us endurance to keep showing up and say, Jesus, may I grow in wisdom and stature with people and with God. So may that be the call of Karamdale. May that be our calling sign as our dream is to transform cities. May we have the courage to forgive and trust again. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect further, please visit us at www.cdchurch.org.